0: Hey, good morning, GFC. How's everybody? Man, that was incredible. Uh, You know, sometimes you worship like that and you just kind of feel like we should just stop there. I don't think the pastor needs to say anything. And that would be really cool. Um, But I'm still going to say some things. Uh, So anyway, we're so glad you're here this morning. And I didn't realize how many of you were going to wear your Halloween costumes today. Um, Oh, sorry. Those aren't okay. All right. Mine looks good, right? Yeah, I hear that. Thanks so much. All right. Well, hey, listen, have you got your Bibles with you today? We are going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And so if you want to open up there, yeah, you can clap for that. That's fun. We get excited about God's word. And so that's cool uh, that we can celebrate the fact that God is good. Matthew chapter 25. uh, And we're going to start in verse 31. And so if you would just read with me there, and this is going to hopefully give some context to what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 25, starting verse 31, Jesus is talking and he says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels come with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those who are on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so this morning, we are in a series that we kind of jump back and forth into and out of periodically uh, that we call You Asked For It. And what we kind of ask you to do as a church and as elders, leaders, we just say, ask us your questions. Everybody we believe have, has questions about God, about life, about the Bible. And so we want to hear your questions. Uh, and then we take time when we are between teaching series and different things like that just to try to answer the questions that you submit to us and so if you have any questions or if today sparked some questions right on the other side of this wall there's a little table out there uh, and you can write out fill out on a card write your question and drop it in one of the boxes of uh, the giving boxes or bring it to the uh, information desk at the end of the service and we will uh, try to answer some of those questions but a question that was submitted to us recently was this what happens at the judgment Does all humanity get judged, including Christians? And what about those who have never heard about God and Jesus and who never made a decision for Him? Well, that's a tough question, right? And so you may not have been the one that submitted that question, but maybe you've asked it before. Uh, Maybe it's something that's just kind of on your heart that you've thought about a little bit. Maybe you've done some Bible study for yourself. And so I'm going to tell you this morning from the very beginning uh, that I don't have all of the answers about these things. And yet we're going to see what Scripture has to say about these things and hopefully be able to come at it from a biblical perspective that will give us an idea about what God says concerning these things. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning and you just want to write some things down, here's the first thing you need to know. Number one is that there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment. And so you can bank on that. Now see, the the truth is is that there are a lot of people who live their lives as if that's not the case. They live their lives as if there is no repercussion for the things that they do. That there will not be an end judgment. That they can do whatever they want and there's no accountability for that. There are a lot of people who live their lives like that. But one day, you and I will stand before God. And we will face the judge of all mankind. You can count on that. Let's look at some things that Scripture says about that. We're going to be moving pretty fast through some Scripture this morning, and so don't try to flip there. It's going to be on the screens for you. You can keep up that way. Here's what Romans 14, 10 through 12 says. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He says there will be a day of judgment. Everyone will bow before me. Every knee will say, I bow to you. Every tongue will confess, you are Lord. We will all stand before God as judge. Psalm verse, uh, chapter 98 verse 9. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And so you see, God is coming to judge. Acts chapter 17. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. One of the songs that we sang just a few minutes ago kind of alluded to this idea that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, you have this biblical picture that God says that is the reason you can bank on the fact that a day of judgment, a day of atoning, a day of reckoning is coming. Because when Jesus died to pay for the sins of humanity, I did not leave him dead. God says I raised him back to life. And because of that, he has given proof of this judgment to all men. By raising Jesus from the dead. So because we can point to the historical fact that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, God says you can also point to a future fact that he will come and judge humanity. And so you put these things together. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So you see that God is sending his son, that he is coming again. And that He will come not to bear sin this time. He has already come and borne the sin of the world. That He has taken that on Himself. He paid for that at His first advent when He came. He took our sins upon Himself on the cross. God punished Him who knew no sin. He made Him to be sin for us so that the gift of God could be imparted to us for eternal life. And He says this time when He comes, it's not going to be to bear sin. It's going to be to bring His redemption to those who are waiting for it. And he'll also come as judge of those who do not know him. And so we start to think about this. And it's interesting as you look at these passages of Scripture, you see Old Testament and New Testament passages that we've looked at. The Old Testament and the New Testament are clear that a day of judgment is coming for the whole world, both for those who have already died and for those who will still be alive when Christ returns, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so to live your life as if there is no future consequences is two things. It's foolish and it's dangerous. And if you're in the room this morning and you're thinking through these things and as you hear me talk about the coming judgment of Christ, that you go, I'm living my life as if that is not going to happen. That there is no God, that Jesus is not coming back, that when I die, I die, that's it, I'm just gone. If you're living that way, I would tell you, according to what the Bible teaches, that that's a foolish way to live. And it's dangerous because you never know when your last breath is going to be. You are not promised another breath today. You're not. And so when you think about these things, that you go, I will one day stand before God, just as it is appointed for one man to die once and then to face judgment. So Christ has come and died once. You die, you face judgment. That's the end result. And so we start to look at these things and we can be assured that these things are coming. Solomon wrote this at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. I don't think this one's on the screen. Let me just read it for you. Now all has been heard. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So you go, here's the deal. God knows everything. He even knows the hidden things, the secrets that you think, the thoughts you have in your heart, those ill intentions and the ill will that you bear against other people that nobody else knows about. You harbor it inside, but God knows. He goes, when He comes back, He will judge everything, every thought, whether known or unknown, it's all known to Him. The Bible says that darkness is as light to Him. You cannot hide your sin from the Almighty God. He knows it all. He is sovereign over the universe. He is all-knowing, and He will bring to light our sin. And so there are some things about that that are really scary when you start to think about it. And for some of us in the room today, that should be scary. And for others in the room, it won't be as frightening, and I'll explain why in just a few minutes. So hang in there with me as we go through this. Here's the next thing that I would say. We can be sure that God will judge rightly according to His holiness. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people believe, and we mess this up a lot of time. we think in the final judgment and really any judgment of God is that we think about justice and righteousness and fairness through our own lens of what's right and fair and just, right? That's how we typically approach judging someone. By what I think is right and fair and just, I will judge you and how you live. And I assume that God will also judge you the way that I would judge you. And yet when we see scripture, we find out that God judges on his own merit according to his holiness. Not our conceived ideas of what's right and just and fair. His ideas of what's right and just and fair. Because he is the righteous judge of all mankind. And he judges according to his holiness. So we can be sure that God will judge rightly. So when you stand before God, you can be assured that even if the judgment doesn't go your way, like you would hope it might, man, I hope that I'm going to be with God in heaven forever when I die. And then if that doesn't happen and God says, oh, let's separate the, the sheep and the goats, and you end up on the side with the goats, you can't yell and scream and throw a fit and go, God didn't get it Right? Because God will judge rightly according to His holiness. And so let's see what Scripture says about this. And I think that there is a lot of evidence to help us figure this out. Psalm chapter 89 verse 14 says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. I have this verse highlighted and underlined and circled and all kinds of stuff in my Bible. I love this one. Because when you think about the fact that the foundation of God's throne, what God sits on for eternity, past and future, the foundation of that throne is what? What does He say? It's righteousness and justice. If that's what God has built all of heaven around, His righteousness and His justice, do we not think that God will judge rightly? That's the foundation of what He believes. and He is faithful. And He is love. Psalm 9, 7 and 8. The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. Everybody has the same standing in God's eyes. You stand on the same scale of judgment. There is equity in the way that He approaches you in judgment. Now, we're going to talk about how that's different for a believer in Christ and a non-believer in just a little while. But when God judges us, you can be sure that He reigns forever and has established His throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness. Psalm 96, verse 13. They will sing before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and He will judge the people in His truth. So the first thing we have to understand is that there will be a judgment, and that God will judge rightly according to, not our standards, but His holiness, right? And so when we see these things, we start to go, okay, God is coming. A judgment is coming. And I will stand before Him. So if that's true, that's the case, what happens at the judgment? Because now we're all freaked out, right? Now everybody's like, I don't think this was the best day to come to church. I mean, like Halloween was spooky enough and now here we are talking about being before the holy righteous God of the universe and being judged for our actions and our deeds and our thoughts and even the secret things. Ah, Right? And so we're a little freaked out. So what happens at the judgment? Well, let's talk about that for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 25, again, going back to what we originally read this morning. If you're still there in your Bible, look at it with me. Matthew 25, 31 through 33 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will gather before Him, and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep. From the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And so we see this, that there will be a separation of those who have accepted Christ as Savior and those who are outside of a saving faith in Jesus. And what the defining line, the distinguishing line, the dividing line of this whole thing is, is who knows me? Who are the sheep who follow my voice and listen to me and know me? Who have been called into relationship with me? Who is in my flock? And who are the goats who are running wild and crazy and doing their own thing? Let's separate these two. So he says when God comes, he will come and he will divide those who are with him and those who are opposed to him, who are against him. And so when we see this taught, Jesus actually has another teaching that parallels with this. Uh, We're not going to look at it this morning for the sake of time, but if you want to write this down and look at it for yourself later, Matthew chapter 13 verses uh, 24 through 43 Matthew 13, 24 through 43, uh, has a parable that Jesus tells about, uh, the parable of the weeds. Um, And so there are people who are living. He compares us as humans to seed that's being sown in a field. And that there's a guy who sows seed and it's good seed, but somebody comes along later and sows weeds, sows bad seed. And it all grows up together. Well, how are we supposed to handle that? Because now we've got good wheat that's growing, but bad weeds that are growing in the middle of it. And people start asking him, should we pluck it all out? And he goes, no, 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 because you'll pull up the, the good stuff with the bad, so just leave it until the time comes that we harvest and then we'll separate it that way. So Jesus tells this paralleling story. You can go and get a lot more from that. In fact, Jesus explains some things as you look at it for yourself and I would encourage you to take time this week to go back and look at that. But the ultimate thing that's accomplished at the judgment is that Jesus will rightly divide those who are true followers of His and those who have not believed on Him for salvation. That's the ultimate goal of the judgment. Let's bring those who are with me to me Let's separate those who are not against me and away from me. So here's the next part of the question that was asked. Does all humanity get judged, including Christians? Because I thought once I came into a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that I didn't have anything to worry about anymore. There's no judgment for me, right? Uh, And so we're going to look at some passages of Scripture that help us figure this out. But does all humanity get judged, including Christians? The answer is yes. And if you're writing this down, just write these things down. Yes, but there is a different judgment for Christians and non-Christians. There's a different type of judgment that comes for the believer in Christ and for those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at what that says. And here's what we need to understand. This will be another great thing just for you if you're taking notes today. We are all accountable to the Creator for our conduct. All of us. You are accountable to the Creator for your conduct. I am accountable to the Creator for my conduct. Whether good or bad, you will stand in a form of judgment according to what you have done. And yet, there are also things that we're going to see that we will be forgiven of the things that we have done if we are in Christ because Jesus has taken our punishment upon Him. And so we're going to look at how all this balances out. But we are all accountable to the Creator for our conduct. Here's the first thing that I would say regarding this part of the question. Number one, the lost are judged according to what they have done apart from the forgiveness of Jesus. That's the first thing. That the lost will be judged by Jesus according to what they have done in this body without faith in Jesus Christ for His forgiveness. And so let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Actually, one for this part. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Listen to this. Then I saw, this is John, who's on the Isle of Patmos, and God is giving him a a vision, a revelation of the future, of what is to come. Here's what he says. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, being Jesus. And earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Can we just stop there for a second? This is not a day that everybody's going to be jumping up and down and screaming and shouting and being excited about, right? If someone comes into our universe, into our airspace, into uh, the stratosphere, and when he does, the sky runs away, you're probably finding a place to duck a little bit as well. This is a terrifying moment. Now, I don't know that that's going to be necessarily the case for those of us who are in Christ. I think we will be celebrating this. But if you are not in Christ, this is one of those moments where you are running for your life. And the reason that I think it's true in that way, in that regard, that because we're believers in Christ, we won't necessarily see it that way, is that every other passage we've read so far, have you noticed a theme throughout it? I started noticing this this week. Everything that talks about when Jesus comes said, and he comes with singing. That we sing. That we sing. As he comes. And yet when he comes, the earth and the sky bleeds from his presence. Isn't that astounding? And so when he comes, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be scary. And John continues to say, and I saw the dead, both great and small, regardless of how powerful you are or how insignificant you are. John says, I saw them all. The mighty, powerful people of the world and the insignificant people of the world, I saw them all, and they were all brought before God. You're not any better or any worse on the day of judgment than anybody else, regardless of your status while you live on this world. Regardless of what position you hold and maintain, God sees you with equity, remember? And he holds you accountable for the same. And so when we see this, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Remember, God, is, God knows all of our, our sinful the, the deeds, even the secret things. He goes, there are books, plural. Did you count that one? Books. And I saw books open. And when he starts reading about the books, it's all the things that we've done. All the things that people outside of a relationship with Christ, he's cataloged them all. He goes, here they all are. Now, I don't know how this works for John in, you know, first century going, yeah, there were books. I've always kind of envisioned there being jumbotrons, right? And it's been like, hey, let's now watch your life unfold in front of everybody. That's a terrifying thought, by the way, right? The secret things that you've done that nobody knows about now on display for the world to see, right? And so you go, man, this is crazy. But he says there are books that were open and then there was another book. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So the people who have already passed away, who have already died, and each person was then judged according to what he had done. And so you go, all of our deeds come back to be judged against us if we are outside of faith in Christ. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so you go, here's the deal. Lots of books get opened to have all of our deeds and we're judged according to those things. But then there's one book. There's another book. And you're like, hallelujah, thank you for the other book. That God pulls out that book and on this one He just goes, where's your name? Let's find it. There you are. Close the book. You come over here. Your name's not in the book. You stand over here. Let's read from the other books all the things you've done. And you will be judged according to what you have done in this body. And so God says when those things start happening, we start to figure out that we're not as good as we thought we were. So let me ask you a question. Are you depending on the good that you've done in this life to get you to heaven? Because here's where a lot of people in our world are living. I'm actually a pretty good person. I think if I died, I'm better in the ledger of good things than in the ledger of bad things. And so God will grant me access into heaven. I've done more good. If you put the scales of justice, I've done more good than I've done bad. So God will grant me access into heaven. And we're living as if our good deeds will grant us access to God. And if you're living that way, let me just kind of give you some thoughts this morning about what God says about these things, because there's a big problem with this. Here's the problem. That isn't the standard God God has set forth for anyone to get into heaven. You cannot find anything that says, and if you're good enough, I'll let you into heaven. Not according to the teachings of the Christian Bible. Now, if you want to base that on some other religious uh passage or other religious book, then you go for that. But we believe that this is the word of God given to us by God to base our life on. And so when we think about the word of God and the truth of God, we start to see that goodness is never something that God says, if you're good enough, I'll let you in. And yet we live our lives as if that's the case. Well, I'm basically good. I'm pretty good. I do more good than bad. So let's just base on my goodness, how I get into God's heaven. But that's not the standard. The standard, what is the standard? The standard of God is holiness. God's standard has always been holiness. You live your life holy in perfect holiness. I'll let you into my heaven. Problem. None of us have done that. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There's no one who does right. Not even one. And so God says, you can't base your goodness as the measuring rod to get you into heaven. Here's the second part of that question. How do you know how good is good enough? Like, what's your standard of goodness to get into heaven? What if you're living your life and you go, you know what? I'm pretty good. I'm better. I'm more good than I am bad. And if I compared myself to Joel, I am way better than Joel is. And then what if I looked at you and said, yeah, but if you compare yourself to Brian, who was up here a few minutes ago, you aren't anywhere close to as good as Brian's. I mean, dude is like next to perfect almost, right? I mean, how can you how can you be any better than Brian? He's over there going, no. And we all know he's right. He's shaking his head. That is not correct. And so you go, here's the deal. Who are you measuring your goodness against? What if you get to heaven and go, I'm really good. And God goes, you weren't as good as him. Are you going to put yourself up against Billy Graham? Come on. You going to do that? Go Okay, here's Billy. Here's you. You still want to play this game? Not so much, right? So what's your standard of goodness? What gets you into heaven? And so here's the problem that God's never given us this to to compare ourselves to. We fail miserably when we compare ourselves to other people. You do not want to get to the day of judgment and hope that you've been good enough. You don't. You don't want to get to the day of judgment and hope you've earned your way into heaven. In fact, you can't. Listen to what Isaiah says about our good deeds This is going to get your attention for a minute. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind that sins, sweeps us away. Now, when you read that, the filthy rags part of this, We're going to get graphic here for just a minute, okay? I just need to go ahead and warn you about that. If you have young children and want to cover their ears, that's completely fine. But let's listen to this. In the Message Bible, we take some words and we translate them to keep them really kind of cleaned up. So we get the G-rated version of the Bible. When Isaiah wrote this, Isaiah wasn't concerned about whether or not we thought it was G-rated. Isaiah actually writes, and the Message version actually translates this and says that the word is, it's like oil-soaked rags. Anybody done some oil changes in their car and you get the rags at the end and you're done, you're like, oh, oil, nasty. What can we do with this? Burn them. I don't know. Throw them away. Get rid of the oil-soaked rags. Isaiah doesn't even paint that picture. Isaiah goes a completely different way. You ready? When Isaiah writes this, the, old, the, the Hebrew word he uses for this passage, filthy rags, is menstrual rags. Isaiah goes, your good deeds are bloody tampons. That's what Isaiah paints the picture as. He says, you're painting a picture of you're going to stand before God and go, I think I was pretty good. Let me wave around my goodness. And God's going to go put the bloody tampon down. And I know that's weird and gross and disgusting, and maybe you're offended by that, but that's what Isaiah writes and says. And when we think about this in the terms of God and His holiness, he goes, your goodness, your best is blood-soaked rags. That's your best. You're going to stand in judgment and wave that around and go, here's my best. Look how good this is. Just put it down. It's disgusting. Your best isn't good enough. So what do you need? You need someone else who will say, my best will be good enough for you. And that's where Jesus comes into the picture. So let's look at a couple of things together. Because at the judgment of non-believers, that will be based on their actions outside of a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And they'll be condemned by their actions. Because remember, the standard God expects is complete holiness. Now, believers in Jesus, Those of us who have come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ will also have a judgment before God. You go, wait a minute, I thought there wasn't going to be a judgment. Well, yes, there is. But we're judged according to the work of Jesus on our behalf, not on our own works. When God looks at us and says, should I let you into heaven? Are you one of my sheep? He goes, you're one of my sheep because I see Jesus on you. That's what gets you in not your own goodness, not your own perfection, not your own anything, Jesus gets you in. And so as believers in Jesus, the work he's done on our behalf is imputed to us. Now that word imputed means this, to think of, some, to think of something as belonging to someone and therefore causing it to belong to that person. Okay, imputing something means to think of someone as belonging, something as belonging to someone and therefore causing it to belong to that person. So let's parents take an illustration from Halloween last night. Your kids came home with candy and you thought in your mind, I am now going to impute that candy that you think belongs to you to me. And because I have imputed this thing to me, I now see it not as belonging to you, but as belonging to me. Thank you very much for going trick-or-treating last night, and we all get chocolate. That's the imputation of Christ. Jesus. says, the thing that I think, the death of Jesus on the cross, when he suffered and bled and died on your behalf, God punished Jesus and he put that punishment on him and he sees it as your sin being given to Jesus and Jesus taking your sin and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus being imputed to you. I'm going to take your sin and put it on Jesus. I'm going to take his holiness and I'm going to put it on you. So when God looks at you as a believer in Christ, he doesn't see your messes. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the holiness of his son Jesus imputed to you, given to you, and it cannot be taken away. That's the good news of the powerful news of the gospel. And so when we see this, we see, you know what? God thinks of Adam's sin as belonging to us. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He thinks of the justification of Jesus as belonging to us. He takes Adam's sin away. He puts Jesus' holiness on us. He clothes us with the righteousness and the holiness of God. And so when we stand at the judgment, get this: when we stand at the judgment, we don't need to fear. The judgment. Let me give you a couple of passages. You can write that one down because that's really good news for you as a believer in Christ. You do not need to fear the judgment. Let me read a couple of passages for you. First John four seventeen. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like Christ. Because you can stand on the day of judgment and you can have confidence. Because in this world, you look like Christ. God sees Jesus on you. Jesus has been imputed to you. You look like the son, And so you don't have to be worried. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So as you can stand before God at the day of judgment, and there's no condemnation for you. You've been set free. Okay, so. What does happen to believers at the judgment? How are we judged? How do believers find judgment in Christ? Because the work of God, because the work of Jesus has satisfied God's wrath against our sin, we are judged by our works in the body, just like non-believers, but not for punishment, but for reward. Here's what happens at the judgment for believers. You are not punished by the deeds of your body for, for punishment. You're not judged for punishment You're judged for reward. So you go, okay, that's a little different. I'm actually kind of excited about that. Reward sounds good. Let's talk about that for a minute. So let's look at some passages of Scripture that help us figure this out. Again, Matthew 25, 31 through 40. This is the passage we started out with. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people as uh, one from another. As shepherd separates sheep from the goats, He will put the sheep on His right, the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those who are on His right, these are the sheep, come, you who are blessed by your Father, take your inheritance... The kingdom that's been prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see any of these things? And he will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so when we start to see this, we go, you know what? When Jesus comes, I love what he says in verse 34, the king will say to those who are on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom of God has been prepared for you since the beginning of the age. And so when we're judged and he stands and he separates us, his judgment is not bad, Christian. I can't believe he did all those wicked, horrible things. He says, you come and you take your inheritance. Here's what I have for you. You get to be my child. You are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. He says, you get everything. You get it all. Come into your inheritance. He goes, because of the things you did in your body, and this is not an earning of salvation. I want to talk about that in just a minute. That the works that we do after salvation, they'll be tested. He goes, you fed me you clothed me you saw me in prison you visited me i was thirsty you gave me something to drink i was hungry you gave me food and he goes all of those things are great but they did not earn your salvation you didn't do all those things and i went man that guy is so cool i'm going to give him jesus because you did those things because of the work of jesus and the existing relationship of jesus in your life and so there's going to be part of our judgment that what we do after salvation that will be tested And he says, those are the works that are done according to our love of God, our love for our neighbor. Listen to what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, there's one foundation. Salvation is Jesus. That's it. You cannot build another foundation and go, well, Jesus is a good foundation, but look at this over here. I built my own foundation for salvation. It's goodness or it's my athletic ability, or it's my intelligence, or it's whatever. He goes, no, 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 there's one foundation, it's Jesus. But if any man builds on this foundation using gold and silver or costly stones, or maybe even wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day, when he talks about the day, that's the day of judgment. The day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So you see, okay, here's the deal. Once we're in Christ, we do works in our life. We see people hungry. We feed them. We see people thirsty. We give them something to drink. We see people in prison. We go and visit them. We see people needing shelter. We give that to them. We take care of those things. And he goes, those things are all works of salvation, not works for, for salvation works of salvation. Jesus has been so good to me. He has saved me. He's changed me. And therefore, because of that, I will work on his behalf to do his kingdom things on this earth. And as I do those kingdom things, God says, that's like building on the foundation, Jesus for salvation. Now let's build stuff up. All these things that you do, some of them are, are, uh, precious they're gold they're silver they're precious jewels he goes you build those things up those are everlasting some of the things that we do however in our life even as believers God says those there are some things that you're going to do and they're just not going to stand the test of time it's wood hay and straw and when the day of judgment comes and fire comes on everything the things that will stand are these things you did that were really God-centered Christ-honoring God-driven things the things that will burn up are the things that you did that it was like, ah, that was a good thing to do, but it had no value for Christ at all? It was probably more on your own benefit of going, I can really get ahead if I do something here. because that'll stuff will burn. And you'll still be saved, but it'll be as one who escapes through the flames. because what do you want your life to be when, when Christ comes to the judgment? And he says, step into your eternal reward. I'm going to bring everything to light. Do you want to have built on the foundation of your salvation of Christ with things that are going to burn up? Or do you want to do kingdom-minded, God-centered things that are going to stand the test of time and result of reward for you for eternity? Because that's where things are going. So the work that we do after salvation will be tested, and those that are done according to our love for God and our love for our neighbor are the ones that will be gold, silver, and precious stones, and those will merit rewards in heaven. Now, here's the last passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 18. Revelation um, 11, 16 through 18, excuse me, says this, And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was, because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and all those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So you go, look, Revelation John says, we don't fear the judgment because when the judgment comes, he says the time has come for you to judge the dead and for rewarding the saints and the prophets and those who revere your name. Because when we come and we stand before the judgment of God, it's not for punishment, it's for reward. I want to judge what you've done in this life so that I can reward you. And so when you step into the eternal inheritance of heaven, I have blessings for you. I have reward for you. So build on that foundation of your salvation by doing works and things that are blessings to people and that bring the kingdom of God to this world. Now, I confess, I don't know how all of this works. I don't understand it completely. I don't have all of the answers But I think you can just simply take from scripture and say, this is what the Bible says. This is how we can look at it and address it. I don't know what the rewards look like. I don't know that we get anything that people are going to be in heaven going, wow, look at that. That's awesome. You got that? That's crazy. Now I'm jealous. I don't think we're going to be there because I think jealousy is a sin and I don't think sin's going to be in heaven. And so I think we're going to place, there are other passages that talk about the things that we're blessed and given are like crowns to us. And we're going to lay our crowns back at the feet of Jesus. So we're going to turn everything back over to Him anyway. The joy and the reward of heaven is Jesus. Not the mansion, not the crowns, not the blessings. Jesus. That we will be in His presence forever. That's the reward. And so when we think about this, there's a last question. And I wish we had a whole lot more time to answer this. But the last part of the question that was asked was this. What about people who have never heard of Jesus? And it usually goes, it wasn't asked this way, but it typically goes, what about the good person in Africa that just never heard about Jesus? The good guy in China or Japan or Ecuador or Alabama or wherever good people live. What about those people that just never heard? Well, here's what the Bible points to. In the Bible, ignorance does not equal innocence. And while this is a hard truth for us to grasp, the fact is is that when we inherited our sin nature from Adam, again, Romans 3.23 says that all of sin fall short of the glory of God. Because you've inherited a sin nature from Adam, you can be clueless about God, and yet you can be guilty of your sin according to the Bible. And so when we think about people who live... Without the knowledge of Scripture, without the knowledge of God, without the knowledge of Jesus, it should break our heart. Not that, that they've never heard, but that we're not going and telling them. So we need to go. Jesus called us to that. The commission was to go and make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why do we say that? Well, here's the truth. The last illustration I'll wrap up is this. that if, if people got a free pass into heaven simply because they had never heard of Jesus, like, let's just say that was the case. No one who's, anyone who has never heard of Jesus just gets free access into heaven because God looks at him and goes, you never heard. I, I'm so sorry. You here, just come on in. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter what you thought. Doesn't matter how you were. You never heard. So come on in. Let's just pose it this way. If that were the case, what's the worst thing you can do for someone who's never heard about Jesus? Tell them about Jesus. Like if you go on a mission trip and you go, here is a group that's unreached, never heard the gospel, and you proclaim the gospel to them. And some believe, but some don't. Guess what you've done to those who don't believe? You have condemned them to hell because now they have knowledge of the gospel. It would have been better if we didn't tell them. But that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible says that we are all sinners and that we all have knowledge of God's truth. Romans 1 paints a picture of that. We don't have time to read all of it, and I apologize for that. Write down Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. And sometime this week, just take a look at it. If you have questions, I would be more than happy to talk to you. But in Romans, Paul writes and says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's power, God's divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what He's made, so that people are without excuse. No one can stand before the judgment of God on any point in time and say, I didn't know. God will say, by what I created alone, you can know, you can see. So no one's without excuse. And as hard as that is to understand and as difficult as that is for us to swallow, and because in our lens of right and just and fair, we go, that's not good. God goes, I don't judge by your lens of what's right and just and fair. I judge by my lens of holiness. I know what's right and just. And And so this morning, here's what I would say. If you are someone who has lived your life to this point and you've just thought, man, I'm just hoping that I'm good enough. I think I've done enough good and not not as much bad so that when I die, God will give me access to heaven. If that's you today, man, I hope you hear the truth of what the scriptures say. That you understand that God is not judging you based on your goodness. He's judging you based on His holiness but that he does not desire for you to die apart from him. He wants to have a relationship with you. The Bible says that God has been patient so far in coming back because he is wanting no one to perish. He's waiting. He's been patient. But a day will come when the patience wears out and when he will return and he will judge. What will you say on that day? Because the truth is is that the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you must make that decision for yourself in this life, not at the day of judgment. It's too late then. It's too late. You can't stand before God and go, oh, now I want Jesus. I watch the sky get ripped open and you come back on a throne crazy. Now I want Jesus. No, it's too late. You need to make that decision today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to invite Christ into your life. And so here's what I'm going to do as we close. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they do, I'm going to ask us, just if you will, to bow your head. Close your eyes. We're going to pray together. And as we pray together, I just want you to know that in this moment, you have an opportunity. You have the chance in this moment to surrender your life to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so as you close your eyes, we're just going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, in this moment, just to be honest with yourself about saying, I need a Savior in my life. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I need Jesus. And if that's you today, don't leave this place without inviting Christ to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. God is waiting to impute the righteousness of Jesus onto you, to remove your sin from you. He's placed the sin of humanity on Jesus at the cross, and He's punished it. But now it's like a gift that's being handed out to you. You have to accept it. God's holding it out saying, here's the gift of salvation. It's free. You just take it. And in this moment, I want to encourage you to do that. And so if you would be honest enough with yourself, with nobody looking around the room, I want everybody just to close your eyes. We're going to pray. If you would be honest enough with yourself and with us in this place this morning, just me, just you and me in this room, if you would raise your hand just to indicate to me, I need to invite Jesus into my life. I'm not ready to face judgment, and if it came today, it would not go well for me. Thank you. Anybody else? Then you would say, I'm ready to invite Christ into my life today, right now. I need Jesus. So for you that raised your hand, here's what I'm going to do. I want to ask you just to pray. You just confess your sin to God. You invite Christ to come in and change your life. And So I want to just lead you in this moment to pray. And after the service, I want you to come and talk to me and come find me. Let's talk a little bit more, okay? Will you just say something like this? There's nothing magical about this prayer, but just say something like this. God, I need you. I confess that I am sinful and that I cannot get to heaven without you and the forgiveness that you offer me. Will you forgive my sin? And will you allow me to have a relationship with Jesus that ensures I will live with you forever in heaven? Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your salvation.